0: Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 39, and the topic for today is effective meetings. Now, we find ourselves in meetings in a variety of contexts over our days, months, and years, whether they be meetings at school, whether you're you know, in high school or in university, having to meet with other students in work groups, whether it's a parent-teacher association meeting, or whether it's probably even more commonly, in terms of all of you listening, meetings that you have at your place of work. Now, the... Realization of the importance of meetings really comes to the fore if you think about the amount of time that you spend in meetings. And you also think about how costly they can be as well. I've thought for some time about meetings that I'm in when I try to calculate the cost of that meeting. If you were to take, and the best example is a work setting, when uh, you can estimate the hourly rate, let's say, of everybody that you have in the meeting, go through and do a mental exercise of the average hourly rate of everybody that's in the meeting to figure out how much that meeting costs and costs the company or the organization for which you work. If you do that calculation and then you even calculated per minute, you realize that most meetings are extremely expensive. Now, can that be worth it? Absolutely. But it also requires you to think through a set of ideas and approaches that I'm gonna like to take you through today to optimize your use of meetings to achieve the objectives that you have, as well as to make the meeting more effective for everyone concerned, and to make them worth the money that's being expended, or even if it isn't money as per hourly rate, it's also time expenditure too, if it's an environment that may be, let's say, a school one. So the thought here is to give you some thoughts and some techniques and some approaches that will make your use of meetings more effective. Now this applies to meetings that are with a number of people, with a group of people mostly, although these can also apply to meetings with only two people. It can also apply to meetings that you are officially running, as well as to meetings where you may well be a participant, but you also have some capability as, let's say, an emergent leader that we've talked about before to move the meeting into a direction that is more appropriate. So while it's mostly talking to the people that are in official charge of a meeting, whether it's an informal meeting or a formal one, you can still drive towards some of these objectives and these techniques and approaches, even if you're not the one that is running the meeting. Now, as usual, let's go through A set of quotes first. John Kenneth Galbraith says, Meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. Thomas Sowell says, People who enjoy meetings should not be in charge of anything. An unknown author says, The brain will absorb only what the butt can endure. And lastly, Steve Jobs says, We don't have a lot of process at Apple. But that's one of the few things, that is meetings, we do just to all stay on the same page. So as you see from the quotes, meetings generally are seen as negative, as something that is not necessarily something that is valuable. In fact, when I was looking for quotes to start off this segment most of the quotes were negative. Most of them were like the Galbraith and Sowell quotes. But it's interesting to ponder the one that Steve Jobs talks about. Here's a company, Apple, that is generally believed to be quite innovative, kind of young, kind of anti-establishment, if you will. Certainly it started off that way. And one that you wouldn't think would have a lot of process or a lot of formality. But it's interesting that Steve Jobs still talks about their famous Monday meetings when they go through essentially everything that the company did in the previous week and the work that's going to be coming up in the next while. And the thinking there really is to get everybody on the same page, to make sure that everybody that is creatively working at that company can ensure that they are engaged that they're aware of what the other person's doing that they know when to connect those dots between organizations and people and projects as well as you know when to just be aware of the work that's going on and not necessarily make any changes so it's an instance where a lot of people think negatively about meetings and that's perhaps because they've been in a lot of really bad ones and I'd like to give you a top 10 list of ideas to, in fact, make them, you know, much more effective. So let's start with number one, to assess your current effectiveness and to identify problems or challenges in meetings. So if you're currently running meetings or in meetings that you have some perspective on, think about how effective they are. What kinds of problems do you see in the way that you're running meetings the way that they're going, the way that you're seeing a reaction perhaps from people that are in the meeting. Does everybody avoid your meeting at all cost? Is it the case that you've got looks on the faces of people that are in your meeting that is indicative of the fact that they really don't want to be there and really not engaged? Is it the case that you have a set of meetings that are really engaged, but they just go completely off the rails and they blow the time parameters entirely, and you still don't get what you'd like to get done, done. Number two is to determine what should be dealt with in a meeting and what not. So the objective, really, when you think about the idea that I started this episode off with, when I talked about the calculation of how expensive meetings are, let's say, to your organization, whether with regard to money, or sheer time, you realize you have to be careful in your use of meetings. Does that mean that you shouldn't do meetings? Absolutely not. But you should be only having meetings when you really need to, to really meet and satisfy a particular objective that you have, a decision to be able to be made, information that needs to be shared, getting everybody on the same page, getting input from others on an idea, a variety of different objectives, but you have to be clear what it is that you actually want to achieve from a meeting before you have it. Number three is to establish the objectives and state them and really be clear whether you're in fact going to be solving a problem, making a decision, so you can stay on task. If the objective, and in fact, you can have different sections of the meeting, various topics can be of and be trying to address different types of situations. So one, for example, may be that you need to make a decision. There's a number of alternatives to discuss, and you need to simply get everybody to understand the decision to be made, have input to it, then make a decision. That's very clear. That's very focused. There may be other items that you want to deal with in a meeting that are purely informational. You don't need to make a decision. The objective is the awareness of everyone else. And that might be an instance of everybody going around the table and talking about what it is that they're going to be doing over the next little while, not necessarily even raising any issues that need to be addressed, just purely informational. Some of the time it may also be the case that there are items that are there for education, where you need to just absorb and need to be able to share information that others need to learn And that the objective is, in fact, learning rather than just information sharing or decision making. But it's really important to establish with the group of people that you have in the meeting what the objective is for the particular item that you're going to be dealing with. So number two was really determining whether you needed to have a, a meeting to deal with this. And number three is all about the items that you're dealing with in the meeting, determining what kind of objective and what kind of action is required after it as well and if you do that you can stay on task so if you are talking about let's say an informational item you don't have to feel like you need to resolve it you don't in fact you can even defer any discussion of you know issues to another time you can just put them on a a list that you maintain that may well be there for keeping the flow of information going if it's an informational update kind of uh, item on the agenda. You might want to actually defer any discussion of any issues to a later time just so that you can stay on task. So really meet the objective that you have of the particular item that you're going to be talking about. Number four is determine how formal a meeting should be. What kind of culture should it have? And you don't need to always be, you know, running or participating in meetings of the same type all the time. Some people do that. Some people apply a formulaic approach to any meeting that they run or engaged in, that everything has to be really formal, and everybody has to have an agenda and everything has to be timed and everybody has to have, uh, has to take minutes of the meeting and action items and all the rest of it. That's not necessarily appropriate for certain types of meetings. And the kind of factors that influence what level of formality you really want to encourage include things like the topics that I mentioned a minute ago. So the kinds of things that you're going to be dealing with in the meeting. If it's an informational one, you don't need to be taking actions and minutes and all the rest of it necessarily. The other factor is the type of people you have in the meeting. So some of the time it's very formal because of the overall structure. As an example, I, I used to be part of the International Standards Organization, or ISO, and every country has a representative that they send to these meetings. And you are essentially representing your country. And because it's a an organization that is, in fact, made up of sort of country representatives, and as a result, countries need to, or anybody in the country, should have some level of visibility, have transparency essentially in the system to ensure that everybody knows who said what, there's often a requirement to have some level of minute-taking and clarity on, for example, taking actual votes of whether you are in favor of a particular item. And you typically, when you represent your country, you need to learn before you go to the meeting what the overall constituency that you have on that topic within the country, what they believe, so you're not just voting for yourself, you're actually voting for your country on that topic. But in that type of meeting, it really is important to keep track of everything that goes on, have quite formal approaches to voting, and have official minutes you know, taken as well. There are other situations where you're working, for example, with a set of peers, let's say they're also fairly senior, Very, very expert in the topic area that you're working in. And you don't need to be, in fact, it's probably counterproductive to be highly directive, to be forcing the agenda items, for example, as the leader. Instead, it makes a lot more sense to, at the beginning of the meeting or in preparation for the meeting to solicit input from everyone as to what the topics would be during the meeting and even have the people that brought those topics forward address them and lead them in the meeting as well. That's very different than the ISO one that I talked about earlier. And there's also far less of a need for formality with regard to taking minutes and and officially uh, taking actions and all the rest as well. There are also situations that you'll find yourself in where formality is imposed by either a system or certain people that find themselves in meetings, like I've also been the chair of a school advisory council at a couple of different schools, and there's a desire in that kind of environment for, in my experience, some of the people that really like those kind of organizations, for more formality than is in fact required And in actual fact, it ends up being the case that the uh, formality sometimes makes it difficult to get appropriate discussion going. Everything's kind of stilted because everything has to be voted on. Everything needs to be captured in minutes and the like. And while there may be some need for that, some of the time in my experience, there's a forced level of formality that actually takes away from the creativity, from the contribution that some people in the group may actually be considering uh, contributing, when in actual fact, they kind of get turned off by the overall formality. So it's important to determine how formal you want to be, or even parts of the meeting determine what might be more formal than not. Number five is to establish your role, whether you're a formal leader or emergent leader. If you find yourself in a meeting that really is uh, one that you're not officially the leader of But you really think it's important to go a particular direction. You got to be careful about this because if the, you know, overall leader really has a, the formal leader that is really does have a particular goal and is using a particular technique, it can be disruptive to you know, sort of inject your own ideas. In fact, I've been in many meetings where quite naturally all the people in the meeting tend to be more leaders themselves and everybody tries to lead, which can also be problematic. So I'm not advocating that everybody do that in every meeting that you find yourself in. But I am advocating that if you really find something getting off the rails, if you find yourself in a meeting that really doesn't have structure, let's say it's a meeting of fellow students that are getting together to discuss a project, let's say, at school, and nobody really is officially the leader, and you do have ideas on how the overall get-together that you're going to have should run, and you tend to find yourself being more of the natural leader, then really taking control and setting out the objectives makes a lot of sense. And again, you have to be careful when you're the emergent leader and making sure that you're not going to be disrupting things uh, and that you're not just foisting yourself on a group that may not be, you know, welcoming that particular perspective. But there are instances when you can establish yourself as a leader in a situation that really requires it and that you have the abilities and the ideas to impart and lead with, that it makes sense to do so. And you also, even if you are the formal leader, you may also at times communicate that you're not going to be the hard and fast, driving, controlling leader in the meeting, that even though it's your meeting and you are the formal leader, as I said earlier with the reference to a group of peers or people that are actually quite expert and quite uh, senior, it may well be appropriate to take a much less formal and strong leadership role, even though you are, in fact, the leader of the and the one that called the meeting. Number six is to decide how much time you need overall, as well as for particular items of work. And it's also a good idea to overestimate and use less time than you actually planned. That alternative is far preferable to the one where you underestimate how much time something is going to take, and then take more time. So overall, in the scheduled meeting, let's say, if you think it's going to take an hour to resolve something or to get through a certain amount of material, if you plan for an hour and a half, and you finish within an hour, everybody will thank you. They'll feel like they're getting half an hour back. On the other hand, if something ends up taking longer than what you anticipated. You book a meeting for an hour and it actually takes an hour and a half. Everybody is thinking when it's in the time beyond the hour that you're stealing time from them, right? And a lot of the time they're also now late for other meetings or other commitments that they have. So think hard about how much time you need. Book the time that's actually longer than what you anticipate and make sure that you then will be making sure that you're providing, ideally, time back to people, or even if it does, in fact, take longer, than you uh, have actually used the time that you said you'd n- use, even though you're actually running longer. Now, you got to be careful that you're also not going to now use the time allotted. There is a tendency to book a period of time and then fill that slot. you got to be careful about that, too. And there are instances, and I've done this before with you know, one-on-one types of meetings where I used to schedule them by default for an hour and instead thought hard about how long something might take and even schedule something for half an hour. But I then plan to cover the material in 15 minutes and then if it needs to expand to the half hour, then we're still within the time frame. Now, I'm not perfect at this, but I think that we should all strive to keep these kinds of ideas in mind when we're running our meetings or participating in meetings. And this whole notion of how much time it's going to take is incredibly important. So try to overestimate the time and then come in early. In fact, number seven is to be punctual. You want to make sure that now that you've planned for this time, absolutely make sure that you're there if you're the one that's leading it, or quite frankly, if you're in a meeting that somebody else is running, make sure you're punctual, meaning you're going to be there on time at the beginning of the meeting. When I talked off the top about the notion of how much it costs to have everybody there in the meeting, the worst situation is a situation that I found myself in some years ago when I had an executive that I reported to who would routinely come late, uh, significantly late, like for, let's say we're having a a meeting that was scheduled for two hours, or it might even be longer, but the reality was that we had, you know, fairly well-paid people all sitting around at the start of that meeting, and we actually had to travel a lot of time to get there, which made it even more of a concern to people that were there on time. Now we had that whole group of people essentially waiting when the person that sort of called the meeting was in fact late. That's a situation really to avoid and you know anybody not being there is problematic if you really do need to have let's say the objective was to make decisions well you know if that person's not there for one thing you either need to go start late which now is screwing up your whole plan in terms of how long it was going to take or you start on time you don't have everybody that is supposed to be there And if you needed to be making decisions, you have a situation where now you either can't make the decision or you have to redo everything and when that person arrives, or you go ahead and make the decision without that person and then not have the benefit of their input as well. So incredibly important to be on time. It's also really important to have the courtesy, if you can't make a particular time, to let the person that's organizing that meeting know that you won't be there If you really can't and there's a topic going to be covered that you already have some input for, you can provide that beforehand. Again, realize that the time that you're being scheduled into meetings, or even if it's an informal one, it's incredibly important given the fact that everybody's going to be there, that there's a whole lot of people's time that's going to be wasted or made more ineffectual if you're not there. So make sure that you are in fact punctual in starting And as I said a minute ago, also make sure that you've planned for more time so that you're not going to go over. Also realize that if you are in fact done, even though you've got more time scheduled or planned that you could take, finish up early. Realize how much that meeting time is costing in terms of money or time. And so if you can actually finish up quickly, finish up. Let everybody leave. Number eight is to work to be inclusive. And in fact, be a role model of the behavior that you expect as a leader to be the way that you want everyone else in the meeting to behave as well. Now, it's very common for certain people to have the floor, to have their influence, to have their contributions get into a meeting very easily and quickly because they tend to be more forceful people. They tend to speak more loudly tend to inject their ideas more forcefully in a meeting. There are other people in a meeting who don't do that. In fact, if there's somebody else in the meeting like that, they're more likely to pull back and not contribute. As the leader, whether the formal official leader or an emergent one, really have to work at being inclusive and letting everyone contribute their ideas. A very common experience is having somebody start to say something Somebody that, let's say, doesn't have as loud a voice or tends not to volunteer as easily. Let's say they start to contribute an idea and somebody else talks over them, somebody who is that more vocal kind of person. As the leader, and again, or as the emergent leader that just happens to be in the room but really wants to influence the way that the group works, it's a really good idea to. Interject and say, "Okay, yeah, now, now we've heard so and so's input, but I heard that um, you know this other person in the group was wanting to contribute an idea. What what were you going to say?" And give them the floor. Be aware, also in particular, that a lot of the time, as we've talked about previously in this podcast series, with the flattening of the world and with people working with one another in different geographies, and different time zones, tend to also work remotely, meaning that you'll have somebody that is either on a phone or on a video conference farther away from where others are, and especially in situations where you now have, let's say, a core group in one location and have one or two people that happen to be on the phone from a, with a conference phone, let's say. That's a situation as a leader where you have to work really hard at making sure that that person or people that are coming in remotely, are appropriately included in the discussions. Now, that situation is a bizarre one in many ways, and problematic in many ways. Some of the time you'll notice that everybody that's in the larger uh, location may well be speaking to the conference phone all the time, and that there is an inordinate amount or an unbalanced amount of effort and focus given to the remote attendees. Of course, the opposite can also occur that there's lots of discussion in the room where the larger group of people are meeting and it's very hard for the remote person to actually voice their concerns or their what they wanted to contribute. And so either way, you as the leader need to be cognizant of that and be in a position where you're going to try to ensure that there's a right balance of contribution from various people that are in the meeting. And when I talk about also modeling the right behavior, if you're noticing any kind of inequity that limits the contribution of everyone in the group, try to step in on those as well and try to show appropriate behavior. So for example, if somebody's getting really quite belligerent or somebody's getting very angry, you'd be the one that is the voice of reason and calm to have the whole group work more effectively. May also be the case that there may be some other, you know, sexist language. Let's say, inappropriate jokes or any kind of inappropriate content or behavior happening in the meeting. As the leader, the formal one or the emergent one, you can be the one that models, that interjects, and that tries to set the tone of the interaction and the conversational style that is expected in the meeting. Number nine is to summarize action items, owners, and dates, if that's appropriate for the kind of meeting that you're having. If you wanted to have a meeting and there's sections of that meeting that have appropriate next steps, meaning that somebody is going to have to do something in some kind of time frame based on the decisions that you've made, write that down. Be really clear especially at the end of the meeting, to summarize. And again, you can be as formal or informal about that as you'd like, given the culture of that particular group. But You want to make sure you identify who needs to do what, by when, with whom, and then have that as a summary at the end as well. If you don't do that, you just carry on to the next meeting and you have no idea what uh, was supposed to happen. And it's good to identify two realistic times that something may well be followed up on. And so it doesn't all have to be, well, within the next few days or the next week, some things may take longer. But be clear. But also be particularly clear as to who has that action. Even if it's something that the whole group thinks it should do, choose somebody in the group. Either let them volunteer or choose who is going to be the person that's going to follow up on that. Number 10 is to think about what worked and what didn't. Be aware of how your meetings, again, whether you're leading them or you're a member in them, how effective they're being. And on a routine basis, think about how you can improve them. Are you getting off the rails on particular topics? Is there a particular person that's, you know, problematic? Is there a set of relationships among the people in the group that is needing to be resolved, that there's some problems there? Think about it. Put an action in place yourself as the leader to resolve some of those. And some of that may have to happen between meetings to ensure that the next time you get together for that very valuable time together, again, whether in monetary terms or in purely use of everyone's time, you want to make sure that everything's running optimally. So that's the top 10 list for becoming more effective in meetings, in achieving the objectives that you have with them. Now, you can always provide feedback, as I say, at the end of each of these episodes to me, whether to the lifehabits at Gmail email account, the lifehabits in iTunes, where you can just go into the iTunes store and search for Life Habits and provide a comment or rating there. You can go to the website, lifehabits.net. You can also follow me on twitter.com slash carlvradenberg or face- facebook.com slash carlvradenberg. And I did actually get some feedback from uh, Bart via the Life Habits website. He says, great episode, Carl. Being a programmer by trade, this is in relation to the designing your life episode. It says, being a programmer by trade, this one really made sense to me and hit home. I really enjoy your series and I'm glad you're back to doing shows regularly. Keep up the great work, Bart. Yeah, and I am in fact trying to keep these up regularly with one per week. So that's it for this episode. Get me some feedback, any suggestions for future topics as well. We'll talk to you all next time and bye for now.